Welcome to Labor Pains Podcast, brought to you by Women Connect and Support. I am your host, Teresa Reiniger. I am a woman that is very passionate and on a mission to help women and men that are struggling with infertility or loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy. I am here to help share stories of the struggles that couples have gone through to inspire and give you hope to continue on your journey to have a family to love. I have talked to so many men and women that have all told me the same thing, that they all felt very, very alone as they were going through the struggles and the grief. I want you to know that you are not alone and I am here to connect you to others to give you hope beyond the struggles and the grief. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I am so glad you're all here to listen to a person that I just met, Anne-Marie, who I just met through another friend. And I am excited to hear her story and let her share her journey to have a family with all of you. So welcome, Anne-Marie, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to hear. I've heard a little bit of your story, but I'm excited to hear the rest. And I always say excited, but I'm not sure that's the right word um, to use. Mm -hmm. But I'm excited that you're going to share this to help other people, I think is why I use the word excited. I understand that. I I write and I tell people that I I love writing, but then I say I write about bereavement and it's kind of a strange thing to say that you're excited about, but I think it's, I, after going through my own struggles, I really am passionate and enjoy being able to do something that can help somebody else in the way that I was helped. Awesome. I'm glad that you said that. Now I don't feel so bad when I say that because I feel like it's kind of contradicting, you know, a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, well, I always start my podcast the same way pretty much. And so I'll ask you the same question that I ask um, all my other guests or most of my guests. And that Mm -hmm. is when did you and your husband decide to start to have a family? So it actually started in a sense before I ever met my husband. Um, When I was in high school, um, I had plans to say goodbye to my parents' faith, to go off to art school and kind of be done with that. And then I had a conversion experience. And after that, kind of everything in my life changed as far as my plans. And I decided, all right, instead of art school, I'm going to go do something where I can help people. So I decided I'm going to go to nursing school. And I kind of had plan A and plan B for my life. Plan A Mm -hmm. was I want to get married and I want to have a family. Um, And whether that be biological or adoption or foster care, all I knew is what I wanted to have kids in my life. And my plan B was I don't find the right guy. I want to go to the mission field and I want to work with kids. Um, So either way, I knew that I wanted kids to be part of my life 
And so once me and my husband started dating, that was a big prerequisite. I mean, one of those first mm. questions that gets asked, like if it, it, it was a deal breaker, like if you don't want kids, like it, it's not going to yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. I mean, I have heard other people that, you know, they've actually been married and they talked about having kids before they got married and it was agreed upon. And then after, you know, a couple of years, somebody's decided they don't want kids and it's like, mm, adios, mm, you know? Yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. which is sad. So, so yeah, I could totally understand why you would have that, you know, yeah. but good. So, all right. So you met him, Mr. Wonderful. Yes. The one that decided <laughs> that, yes, he wanted children too. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. And he himself, that was, you know, also a prerequisite for him. So we were a good match. Okay. Good, good, good. So you got married. And then how long did, before you um, decided to try? Were you still working on a career? Is he working a career? Or were you like, okay, let's, let's, let's start the process. Let's try to have children right away. What was kind of the... So he's a little bit older than me. So he had already started his career four or five years before we met. Um, And I had started my career the year before we met. Um, Okay. But we still were planning to wait about five years to have kids. We're both financially um, just the sort of people who plan. We're very frugal. Um, And so the plan was wait five years and just save a lot of money. Um, However, um, I'm going to tell you a joke that will explain how we became parents. Um, (laughs) So what do you call somebody who uses family planning? A parent. A parent. Yeah. Yes. So we use family planning. It did not work for us. (laughs) And we had an almost honeymoon baby. Uh... Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so out went the plan. Now there's out a new plan. The plan. Yes. Yes. So yeah, we, um, I was 24 years old. We had just got married and I was thinking that I was probably just being, you know, overly concerned as a new, you know, married woman that I'm pregnant, probably not really pregnant took the pregnancy test. My best friend's on the phone with me, which I had gone through this a million times with her doing this when she got married and it's like, Oh, it's going to be negative. It was positive. And so (laughs) then (laughs) tell my husband that night. And we just happened to be on a trip that next day to Indiana to visit my family. And so we got to tell them right away. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, I was 24 years old. I was pretty naive. I never, it never crossed my mind, like that miscarriage might be a thing. Like it just, it was like, all right, we're, we're pregnant. There's going to be a baby in April. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So how did that pregnancy go? Were you sick? Did the pregnancy go well? So, um, let's see here, probably about six weeks into the pregnancy, Um, I had been, you know, working up until that point. um, And I knew it like four weeks. So I'd already known for about two weeks um, before I started really having any sort of symptoms. Um, I started having some pretty bad morning sickness. And then 
there's one day my husband brought home this subway sandwich and I just, it, it was everywhere. I'm sorry. That's mm. Um, mm. and after that, I didn't really, I didn't eat food that I could keep down until after my 20 weeks of my pregnancy. Um, oh my gosh. Yes, it was, it was very bad. Um, I, at first they were like, all right, this is morning sickness. Um, you know, we're just gonna, you know, you're going to do your best. Like this should be over by 10 weeks. You know, we're going to give you some medication. Um, and it just wasn't working. And, Mm. um, I remember people, you know, everybody wants to give you advice and help. And I just wanted anybody's advice, anybody to help. Um, and yeah. it just didn't sound like what other people were talking about as far as morning sickness went. Um, so mm. anyways, we keep getting farther along and I just keep losing weight rapidly. I can't keep any fluid down. So it gets to the point where I'm constantly in the ER to get IV fluids, eventually yeah. I get admitted to the hospital. And that was like my one day of like awesome reprieve where they gave me so much anti-nausea medication that I was able to eat something and keep it down. Um, Mm. But of course, as soon as they let me go, then it was the same thing over again. Um, But by that point, they had me on home health. And so I was getting IV fluids. Um, And eventually they started calling it hyperemesis gravidarum, which is basically a term for somebody who just can't keep any food or fluids down while they're pregnant. And it leads to some of the complications that I was having. Um, Wow. Yeah. So it was, it was very um, interesting because once again, I was super young. I, um, I'm a nurse. I am used to taking care of people. I'm not used to being taken care of. Mm -hmm. I was very healthy. I was also, I'm very naturally minded. I grew up that way. Um, my parents were crunchy before crunchy was cool. Um, so, you know, we were, (laughs) we were doing the (laughs) and we were, you know, everything was all natural. Um, and so I just expected that I was going to have a pregnancy that was all natural, a birth that was Uh all natural. And that is not what happened. Um, And so along with the fact that, you know, I am absolutely miserable losing weight very quickly. um, There was also this like psychological thing going on with me where it was just really hard because I just felt like I was harming my baby by doing these things necessary to really honestly keep me alive in order to have her. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how that first part of the pregnancy went. Um, Eventually, there just kind of came a point where it was if something just kind of switched and it was like over the course of a week or so where I was starting to be able to keep food down. And I can remember one day where I'd been able to keep food down for several days. And then we went to my mother-in-law took me to Applebee's. And I ate Mm -hmm. some macaroni and cheese meal from there, which I mean, I couldn't even look at that beforehand. And I kept it down. Mm -hmm. And after that point, I consumed everything that I could keep down (laughs) as much as possible so that I could gain back the weight that I had lost. I got down to 82 82 pounds 
Um, oh my gosh. Yes. And so, wow. yeah, then I got back up to 125 pounds. So I gained a lot of weight in very little amount of time. Wow. Yeah. So how did the baby do during all that time? Did it affect her? Was she getting enough nutrients, even though you weren't able to keep anything down? How was the baby doing during that time? So there were actually a lot of other things other than just the hyperemesis actually going on during this time in order okay. for me to answer the question. So okay. around 11 weeks, I started having bleeding on top of this. Mm. Um, and at first it just started like with some just spotting. And then one week, um, it was maybe like a week later, I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought I was covered in sweat. I could feel that I was like from my chest to my knees, just covered, like covered in liquid. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I'm pregnant. I'm just hot. I need to change my clothes. And then I... I sat up, I felt the bed. It's about two in the morning at this point. And it's just drenched beneath me. And it smells like blood. And I turn mm. on the light. And sure enough, I am covered in blood. In fact, I have still yet to get a new mattress. So you can see the blood stain still on my mattress, which is oh kind of gross. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, at this point, I kind of had that surreal calm and as a nurse also I just was like okay I'm not gonna freak my husband out so I woke him up and I'm like John I showed him what was going on I said I need you to call the doctor while I put on some different clothes and we need to go into the ER right now mm -hmm. um and he's obviously scared I'm like I'm fine I don't feel strange I haven't lost enough blood that you know we need to like freak out and call 911 or anything. Um, but I, my, I'm under the assumption that with that much blood, I have lost the baby. Mm -hmm. um, so I called it. We talked to the doctor as we're driving over to the hospital. We lived about five minutes from the hospital. And this is the hospital that I worked at at the time. Um, so anyways, he was like, okay. He's like, I, it, it sounds like you're miscarrying. You know, they'll check mm -hmm. it out. They'll get an ultrasound and see what's going on. Um, and I'll make sure that you're not continuing to bleed. And if, you know, if you, if you are, then I'll come in and we'll do a DNC and get things taken care of. Mm -hmm. So I go in assuming that that is what's happening. Um, and so we get in there. Unfortunately, I did not have particularly great care that night. Um, but they got things checked out and, lo and behold, they turn on the ultrasound and I'm expecting to see that my baby is gone. Um, yeah. And there she is kicking. She looks like a little soccer player, that stinker. Oh, oh my goodness. She, she is mad at that ultrasound tech for touching my belly. And she is trying to kiss the ultrasound away. So it's about 12 weeks along. Um, so anyways, um, that was just kind of one of those really like it was traumatic but one of those experiences where I'm like okay I mean something pretty traumatic can happen but she's still doing fine so um anyways like I I just kept trying to trust the doctors when they said you know yeah. 
baby's taking what you need. Like she's going to take everything from you before, before your body's going to take anything from her. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, the pregnancy continued. I continued to have bleeding issues throughout. Never as bad as that though. That was the worst incident. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, then I also ended up having some minor preterm labor issues. I ended up off work for some time for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually we actually made it all the way to 40 weeks and two days. And I delivered a nearly eight pound baby girl. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> wow. After that, all of that, all of she that was good size then. Yes, she was. Yes, she was. And with hyperemesis, those babies, they usually do pretty good. Um, there do tend to be some long-term side effects that are have been shown statistically through research. Like those kids usually tend to be sensory kids. Um, mm. And she does have some sensory issues. Um, nothing like no, no spectrum um, issues for her, but she, she is very sensory. Like she hates her fingernails being clipped. Um, and when she was in those toddler years, she had a hard time. Um, oh, okay. But, um, you know, I mean, overall with as afraid I was for her life, I, I just couldn't even believe how, how beautiful and perfect she came out. Yeah. Um, it, it really was just a miracle when I thought about it. Yeah. Well, all of the, both things, you know, the bleeding, you know, I, I would have thought for sure that, that you would have miscarried. That's amazing. Because most of the time when all that bleeding happens, that's kind of what happened. Did they know why all the bleeding? And I've also heard sometimes that there's a second child, you know, that maybe it was the loss of a twin. Was that the Mm -hmm. case or do they have any idea why all the bleeding? So we didn't find out during that pregnancy and it was actually during it was after the second pregnancy that we found out why that was. Okay. Okay. So she was all good, healthy, some sensory things, mm-hmm. but good. So then you decided to have another child. Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, let's see here. So, so she was born that. in April okay. and then uh, I'm going to say it was, I, and I do apologize. I'm probably getting this wrong. It was probably about six months later that we got pregnant. It could have actually been less than that, um, that we got pregnant again. Once again, unintentional. um, Our (laughs) plan for contraception failed that day. And so (laughs) I only have one plan, child. You're going to find this out. So I might as well (laughs) And I do know know, how that happens. (laughs) But, you know, it it happens. And I'm finding that it happens more. It happens more frequently than not that people have unplanned pregnancies. It it just is. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I am now 25 years old. I have a baby who is just adorable and happy and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I find out that I'm pregnant again. Um, 
And at this point, we suspect that I could end up pregnant. So when it comes about time for my period to start, I take a pregnancy test. I, the morning of the pregnancy test, I woke up at 5 a.m. It was just like, I knew, I just knew. Mm. I, I didn't normally wake up that early. I was more like 6.30 or something. But for some reason that morning, I woke up at 5 a.m. I had a pregnancy test. I took it. And there it was. Clear as day. There mm. there it was. <laughs> oh, wow. You're very um, in tune to your body, it sounds like, too. I I am, actually. I am very in tune to my body. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, um, it was interesting. I actually wrote in my journal that morning. Um, it was, um, it was very strange. I just had a sense that there was going to be something different about this child. Um, Mm -hmm. so I actually wrote in my journal about it. I'm like, I, I just had a sense that maybe he was going to be down syndrome or, something of that nature. I felt that he probably had some sort of disability. Um, okay. And I say he, I did not obviously know at the time that this was a little boy. Um, sure. But I wrote in my journal, I'm like, God, I, you know, if this is true, like, just, just let me love this baby um, the way that you, you want me to. Um and so I, I just kind of left it at that. It was just one of those strange things. And I thought, you know, I'm hormonal. It's probably nothing. Mm. And I just, I just left it there. Um, and I tend to write things like that in my journal just so that like, I can go back if they do, if they are true and be like, I wasn't crazy. Sure. Um, but okay. so anyways, um, I was very nervous after that first pregnancy as to what this pregnancy was going to be like. Um, it, sounds crazy to be pregnant again after that pregnancy yeah Um, (laughs) like who wants to go through all that again my goodness yeah and it honestly I mean I don't know that I would have chose to go through another pregnancy again so I I think it was you know I I think it had to happen by accident in order for it to happen Mm -hmm. um so anyways uh I did have morning sickness um technically I would have probably still been considered hyperemesis, but it was not to the level anywhere close to the level. In fact, of all my pregnancies, it was the best pregnancy that I had. Um, it was the hyperemesis was, it was rough, but I was still working. I didn't have to live on a couch. I didn't have to have an IV in my arm all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have to have IV at all the entire time. Um, I would go into work and sometimes I would puke in the trash can. And there are several occasions of doctors walking by and just kind of staring at me. <laughs> like, <laughs> What's going on with her? Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember standing outside my chiropractor's office and I come out and all of a sudden I'm vomiting and this bus of um, people from a nursing home drives by and they're all like glued to the window as I'm puking and holding my baby. Oh my God. <laughs> but for me, that was, it was so good because I was able to still eat like and keep fluid down. And it, you know, it was, 
it wasn't fun, but it was, it was much a more better. normal. Good. Yeah. So once you have that, is it something you will have with all pregnancies? I don't know a whole lot about that. Yeah. So it, it isn't necessarily, um, it okay. really okay. varies. Um, so I worked with a gal who she had had, I think two babies in her younger years in tw- her twenties and she had no morning sickness. Um, and they were, they were both boys. Um, and then she had a baby in her thirties and she had hyperemesis that was worse than mine. Um, mm. so it's not, it just not every varies. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to research that a little bit. Cause I'm not really that familiar. I mean, yeah. I'm familiar with morning sickness, but not, not that, not that severe. You know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to do some research on that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So this um, was a little better. Okay. Yeah. So this was better. Um, I didn't have any bleeding until I, I'm going to say 16 weeks. Um, I have all these things wrote down somewhere, but I, it's been a long time. This um, mm-hmm. so anyways, I think it was around 16 weeks that I had some spotting. Um, the doctors put me on bed rest for a little bit. Um, as much bed rest as you can be on with a baby. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So anyways, um, you know, did that. Um, and as things were going along, it seemed like things were getting better. Um, I was really just enjoying that pregnancy. Um, whereas my first pregnancy, I just felt miserable. And I also felt hopeless. I really went through struggles with my face during my first pregnancy. Mm. By my second pregnancy, I, I knew that God had me and that I was okay. And I just knew that this child was a blessing after seeing my first baby and knowing what I had to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like every night I would sing to my oldest um, I had picked a song for each of my kids to sing to them while they were in u- utero. Um, and mm. so my first ones was you are my sunshine. And for him, his was, um, before the throne of God above. And so I would sing both of those songs to both of them because I'd be rocking this baby to sleep. And then I'd be, you know, patting my belly at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um, So anyways, I was just, I was enjoying my pregnancy. I was so glad that I could work during it. And, you know, there were complications, but it just, it wasn't as bad. Um, And I just knew that the, that what was going to happen at the end was just worth whatever struggle I went through Mm -hmm. um, to hold that baby in my arms. And um, so, yeah, yeah. one weekend, um, we're getting around like the 20 week mark. I decided, all right, well, it's the second baby. I've just had a first baby. Nobody's I, Oh, we had found out it was a boy. And so I was like, nobody's going <laughs> to want to throw us a baby shower. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to hit up some garage sales while it's still garage sailing season. So mm-hmm. I, um, I went out to some garage sales and I beat out everybody. Like I was the first one and I got to a bunch of garage sales that had little boy clothes. And I just got a whole wardrobe for him, like all the way through the first year. So excited. Like I got my haul, I've got it done. 
I went on walmart.com and I ordered my second crib because we're going to need two cribs. So that was on order and it was supposed to come into Walmart. And so I was just like, we were getting stuff done and I was just so excited. Um, So anyways, um, I was starting to have some really strange sensations going on though. Um, I'd Mm -hmm. had preterm labor issues with my oldest um, and it, I wasn't sure if it was contractions or if it was cramping or what was going on because the baby was still fairly small. Um, So anyways, Mm -hmm. I ended up spending those like, probably 16 to 22 weeks, a lot of that time going back and forth between the doctor's office and the ultrasounds, um, ended up with a lot of ultrasounds during that time and kind of on and off, um, uh, with, uh, the bed rest as well. Um, but anyways, so on May 16th, um, I go in for an ultrasound. I talk with my doctor and they cleared me. They're like, you know what? You haven't had bleeding in a while. We're, we've checked your cervix. So if there is any sort of contractions, like it's not doing anything to your cervix. And they okayed me for regular activity. They're like, you're good to go. Like this baby's healthy. Um, he had been stuck in his thumb on the ultrasounds. On previous mm. ultrasounds, he had been like a little limp. But on this one, he was active and sucking his thumb and just looked really good. So anyways, um, that's the 16th. And, um, then on Saturday, um, I'm me and my husband were around the house, just doing our normal Saturday thing. Um, mm-hmm. then that evening when I go to put, um, my oldest to bed, I'm singing her, her lullaby and her brother, his lullaby, um, mm-hmm. I don't feel him moving, which is very strange because that's, even if I don't feel any movements at any other part of the day, I always felt it at that time. He would have a party at that time. And Mm -hmm. I'm one of these women that I always felt movement super early, like 15, 16 weeks, like the doctors couldn't hardly believe that I'm feeling movements at that point. But after as many babies as I've had, I, I know, I know that I've um yeah so anyways it was just really strange I'm like okay well that's probably nothing you know Mm -hmm. so anyways um the next day comes it's a super busy day we've got stuff scheduled for church and after church and I've kind of sat down for a moment here and there and I've felt something, and I'm not sure if it's movements or if it's a contraction here or there, but they're, you know, they're saying that the, what I was feeling was probably not contraction. So I'm like, okay, well, it's probably not a contraction. Um, but we have it scheduled to go and see Star Trek um, that mm. night. And so I know during Star Trek, like, he's going to wake up, I'm going to feel him, I'm going to be fine. Like, and I'll know for sure. So anyways... Mm-hmm we get to Star Trek and uh, like, you know, there's big booming sounds and I'm not feeling anything. And in fact, I feel this weight there that is just mm. different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, so during my 
my eldest's pregnancy, I'll have to go back for a second. There had been an, okay. a time or two where I had not felt movement fairly early on where I was in those like 20 weeks area. And I called mm-hmm. up to, you know, the doctor's office or when I was at work, I called up to OB and I kind of got the, you're, you should barely be feeling movements. Like kind of like, why are you calling us kind of stuff? Like, this isn't a big deal. Like you're not supposed to be doing kick counts this early. Like you're fine. Um, and so I kind of made that decision that night. I'm like, you know what? I work the next day. I'll just go in early and I'll have things checked out. I'm probably crazy because a lot of times I felt during that first pregnancy, like I was crazy. I kind of got treated like I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I, it's You're doubting it's, yourself. I'm yeah. so doubting myself, so doubting myself. And so I'm like, you know what? I don't want to go in and then once again, get that label as being that person and it'd be totally fine. And then be like, you're crazy and you're bothering us, <laughs> which of course mm. nobody says, but that's how, what you feel. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. the next morning I wake up extra early so that I'll have a good half hour or so on OB before I have to start my, my um, shift at work. And I go into work and I get on my green scrubs and I go up to OB and there's actually a nurse who I work with. that's kind of trying to get my attention. She's walking in the hall behind me and I'm trying to avoid her. She used to be an OB nurse. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. gosh, avoid, avoid her, avoid her. Um, Cause I'm just, <laughs> I don't want to talk to her. I feel like I'm going to cry if I do. And I feel once again, like I'm being crazy And so I get up to OB and I check in with a nurse behind the desk and she's like, so how long have you not been feeling movement? I'm like, well, the last time I know for sure that I felt movement was like Saturday midday and she scolds me like it's been too long for you to have not come in yet. I'm like, okay, Mm. okay. Um, so anyways, that kind of sucked, but I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm probably crazy, but at least we're going to know. Um, so they take me into the hospital room and she tries to get um, a pulse for the baby and she can't get one. And then another nurse mm-hmm. comes in and tries. And they're trying to be really happy and upbeat and like, you know, they're so little at this point and, you know all those things. And so they Mm -hmm. try the monitor and they try the Doppler and nothing's working. And so eventually they call my OB who is doing surgeries downstairs in the OR. And I worked on same day surgery. So, um, I should have been the one getting (laughs) his cases ready by this point. Um, and so they call him and say, you know, we need to get an ultrasound. So I'm waiting for the ultrasound and I'm talking with my mother-in-law who um, is the OR charge nurse down there. And so she's like, can I come up? I'm like, no, please don't come up because I don't want to cry. And so I'm just trying to like hold out hope. I'm like, you know what? From the very beginning, I've thought something is wrong. And at this point, I'm just hoping for the worst case scenario that isn't death. I'm hoping, well, maybe he has some sort of heart defect, but 
we're going to go to children's hospital and they're going to fix it. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hoping for the worst case scenario that isn't death. Um, And so eventually my mother-in-law comes up and she completely ignores what I've said. And she's like, no, I'm going to be here with you. Calls my (laughs) husband who works five minutes away at the courthouse. um, And he's headed in. And so she is there with me for the ultrasounds. And as she's looking at the ultrasound, she's crying. And I'm not wanting to look at the ultrasound because I just want to hold on to hope to the very last minute because I know they won't tell me anything until Mm -hmm. the doctor comes in. It's in healthcare. It's very annoying for patients, but the ultrasound techs, they're they're not allowed to say anything. And the nurses aren't there yet. Right. So I know that's the case. And so I'm just like, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to wait because I'm just going to hold on to that last little bit of hope. So right before the doctor comes in, my husband comes in. So me and my mother-in-law, um, well, actually, I think my mother-in-law has gone back to the OR by this point. Me and my husband are there and the doctor walks in. And so he walks in, the nurse kind of walks right behind him, is just standing in the doorway. And he goes, so uh, what are you thinking? And I just kind of very nervously say, well, you know, we're, we're trying to be hopeful and thinking that they've already told me, he then says, um, well, the pregnancy is over. So what, so like, what are you thinking from here? Um, so the nurse then goes, we, we hadn't told her we were waiting for you. And so then he just, you can see his face. Like he just feels horrible. He's thinking that I'm crazy, <laughs> um, that I, that I am not accepting what's going on, which I shouldn't say crazy oh. because that's honestly would be a very normal response at that time. Even yeah. if yeah. that would have actually been my response. Um, but yeah, he's thinking that that was my response and I'm just sitting there thinking I'm going to hold on to hope. Um, so poor nurse is like, Oh no, we hadn't told her. And so then he it's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. The baby has died. And then he gives us kind of our options. It's like, so you're planning to deliver at a hospital down the way. Are you still wanting to do that? Or do you want to deliver here? Um, and it was also said, you know, you can stay here and we can induce you now, or you can go home and sleep tonight and then come back in the morning. Um, and at that point I was just like, oh my gosh, I have a 13 month old at home. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I cannot go home because I am going to just scare her. I'm going to just sit and cry and I'm not going to sleep tonight. Like there's no way you're sending me home. If if there's an option to do this now, there's no way you're sending me home. So anyways, my husband calls the insurance. We find out that I can indeed deliver at the hospital that I'm currently at. Um, And so, I mean, it was not long, probably a half hour or less. And they put a little tablet up next to my cervix and start the induction. Um, and I'm crying, but also I'm sure in shock. Um, and we're just doing these very, very, I don't know what's the right word. Um, 
just things that have to be done. You know, we're, we're talking to the funeral home and we're, we're doing all of these things that we could have never fathomed that we would have been doing that day. Um, just almost going through the motion, I'm sure. Yes. Of things that had to be done. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but I was so thankful that I was able to stay at the hospital where I worked um, because all of my coworkers were there. So my boss, before the induction really got into full effect, came up and she just gave me a hug and told me she loved me. And my coworker who had at one time been an OB nurse, the one who was walking behind me before I'd gone up. She came up and she talked to me and I knew that she had lost a baby at one point. She had lost a baby at seven months along. Um, and so she was able to come up and just, you know, give me some comfort and say, you know, this is so hard and this is going to be so hard for a while, but I promise you eventually it's not going to be as hard as it, as it is right away. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, um, my mother-in-law was able to work and come up and be there when we needed her, but also give us the space that we needed. Um, and the anesthesiologists that I work with, they were like, if you need anything, you just let us know. And, um, you know, it was just, it was wonderful to have people that I loved, um, that were just so close um surrounding you so much yes what support yes huge absolutely so um they they switched me rooms I was in one of their postpartum rooms and kind of antipartum rooms and so they switched me into one of their labor rooms Mm -hmm. and started the induction with that one tablet and that was the only thing that I needed um they had originally told Mm me when I when they told me that I had lost the baby that like, this is going to be a really long process. You're only 23 weeks along and your body isn't ready to have a baby yet. So it's going to take a long time. It could take days. Um, so I'm expecting days. Um, and they're like, we may have to do multiple different medications to get this, to get this going. Um, so anyways, we've, we do this one tablet and it isn't long until I'm really having some pretty serious contractions. Um, right before they really start to get bad, my husband runs home. I have a list for him of some things that I need, you know, pajamas and underwear and, you know, just things Mm -hmm. that you need. Um, And he also grabs a book that's by an author that the author is who we were planning to name our son after, um, Abraham Mm -hmm. Kuyper. And so uh, he grabs that book as well. So anyways, that it was probably less than a half hour that he was gone. But that half hour, the nurse wasn't in the room and he wasn't in the room. I was just there alone. Um, and that was the hardest probably. Well, I I shouldn't say it was the hardest part of the day, but that was one of the hardest parts of the day was being alone for that half hour and just sitting there in this hospital room and changing out of my work clothes 
and putting them in the locker and changing into a patient gown. Um, it just signified this shift in my mind. Like I'm no longer a nurse today. And everything that I thought was going to happen today is completely changed. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I've, I've changed out. I, you know, they've put an IV in my arm and they've started this induction. And um, then my husband got back and we, uh, we called my mom by this point and my parents live about five hours from us. So my mom drops everything and starts driving. Um, mm-hmm. And Oh, sorry. I'm getting teary eyed now. Um, Take yeah. So anyways, my husband gets back. He um, has this book with him and we just start reading through it and start talking about all the things that we had hoped for our Kuiper mm-hmm. um, and start talking about, you know, what does he look like? Who does he look like? Um yeah. And so as the contractions started to get harder and harder, John's just reading to me. Um, and for a long time, that's, that's good. That's like a good distraction. Um, yeah. And unfortunately the poor nurse, she wasn't, was having a really hard time checking my cervix. So they're really not sure where I am in the process. Um, so I know that the contractions feel bad. I also had scoli- have scoliosis. And so they're like, well, maybe, maybe you're just, you know, have a more pain because of that. But once again, this takes a really long time. It's going to take days. Um, so anyways, we're just thinking that this process is not nearly as far along as it is at the points mm-hmm. um okay so the pain just becomes excruciating i'm in transitional labor at this point <laughs> with only mm-hmm. one cervical tablet and no pain medication um oh. yeah. <laughs> and uh they you know they are telling me like eventually we might do an epidural or something but like we want to make sure that you're far along because we don't want to impede this process. Um, because I'm, you know, only 23 weeks along. So, um, yeah, anyways, it's, it, the pain becomes really excruciating my husband by this point, because I'm, I'm screaming. My husband is pacing the floors, just nervous as can be Mm. poor guy. He does this at every labor, but, um, (laughs) 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 bless my mother-in-law she's also a nurse and she is up there by this point and she's just sitting there just gently stroking my arm and I'm just sitting there focusing on her stroking my arm and then all of a sudden I could just feel something change I asked the nurse to go ahead and check and see what's going on she's like oh my goodness you're crowning So by this point, we're in the evening and the doctors have all gone home. And so she calls the doctor who's on call 
And apparently for stillborn babies, they're actually allowed, the nurses are allowed to deliver. Um, but I also have this doctor and he's mm. like, no, I, I want to come in for this. Um, and he later told me that part of this was because with a 23 week um, delivery, you're much more likely to need a DNC afterwards, which is where basically they don't get all the placenta out sometimes. And sure. so okay. then they need to do this medical procedure. And so he was concerned that if he didn't come in, that he was going to be putting me in some danger. So anyways, she says, all right, don't push, just wait. <laughs> and she literally puts like a pillow oh my under my bottom so that like everything's facing up. Um, so anyways, we're waiting. And at this point, my pain has really subsided. Um, so that is good. Um, just mm-hmm. kind of sit in there hanging out and it isn't terribly long, um, before the doctor comes in, um, And so he, you know, gets everything prepared and I'm like, all right, push. And I probably sat there and pushed for a good half hour and nothing happens. He's crowned, but Mm. nothing is happening. Absolutely nothing. And it's almost like my contractions have almost stopped at this point too. Mm. Um, So there just isn't any oomph. So anyways, the doctor and the nurses kind of regroup at this sterile field that they have on the other side of the room and they're talking amongst themselves. And I just, I feel him starting to move and I'm like, guys, guys, you gotta come. The baby's coming. And they're like, are you pushing? I'm like, no, I'm not pushing. (laughs) And sure enough, he comes out and he comes out and call, which I don't know if you know what that means, but he comes out with the placenta and amniotic sac intact. So he comes out this perfect little in this perfect little globe. Mm. And yeah. Wow. I've never yeah. So in nursing school, I had learned about that. And it's kind of like in the medical community seen as like almost a magical event. It's very rare. And it's just kind of a magical thing to see because you got to get to see like all of the inner workings together. Um, And so anyways, the doctor is showing the nurses and kind of geeking out over this. And I'm just, (laughs) and I, I just am finally able to cry again. Um, And I, cry and John and I just sit there and cry together. Um, And so they cut him out of the amniotic sac and they dry him off and they place him on my chest. Um, And I just remember looking down at him in just, just complete shock. Like I'd been going through all of the motions that day, but, and the only part of the day that seemed like it could be good or positive in any way was that I was going to see him, you know, that's what you're always looking forward to with pregnancy is like that day where you get to see your baby. Um, even if that day is, you know, the day you get to meet your baby who's already gone. Um, so anyways, they put him on my chest. Um, and I'll be honest, at first, I just go, oh, like, 
he, he's a 23 week old baby. He's one pound, four ounces, and they aren't the prettiest mm. little things at that point. Um, yeah. And so there's a part of me that just, I want to shield him because he's my baby and I love him, but I certainly don't want anybody to think that he is anything but beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting over the course of the next five hours, he just looked more and more beautiful. The more I looked at him. Um, and so my husband and I, we got to hold him and my mother-in-law got to hold him. And then about a oh, half hour after I delivered him, um, my blood pressure was really starting to tank and I was Mm-mm. very lightheaded and, you know, they're trying different things and I'm like, you know, I think I just need to eat. Um, so my mother-in-law or somebody runs down to my locker on my unit and gets my lunch bag and they heat up my lunch and (laughs) I eat the lunch that I was supposed to have that day. Um, and I'm cross-legged on the bed and he is between my legs and I'm eating enchiladas (laughs) and my blood pressure is like right back up. And then my mom walks in and she's talking to me and how are you? And she thinks that I'm just in the beginning stage of the labor because the last she's heard that, you know, this is probably going to take a few days. And then she looks down and realizes that he's right there um, on my lap. And Mm -hmm. then she just starts tearing up um and the back of the rest of us are back tearing up as well um and she asks if she can hold him and so then she gets to hold him um and that's what we did for for five hours we held him and we rocked him and we, you know, just talked about who we had hoped he would be. And we talked about where he believed he was now. Um, we talked about people like my great-grandmother who had lost a child of her own um, and how now mm. she was holding him. We had talked about my cousin who had lost a child to stillbirth and how he was going to be playing up there with Calvin um, and with my mother-in-law's, um, father who had died just the year before and was just a wonderful man. Mm-hmm. And then he was up there holding him too. Um, yeah. And the nurse came in at one point and she took fin- hand, uh, fingerprints and footprints and, took pictures um and we took pictures as well um yeah yeah it's interesting i had during delivery i had um said you know i want a professional photographer to come in and take pictures um but um there's a there's an organization i don't know if you've heard of it i can't remember the name of it um but they're professional photographers that do um, bereavement pictures. 
they volunteer their time. And so we mm-hmm. called one of those folks um, and I had um, asked, uh, yeah, if um, they could come. But once he was there, I once again, I had that protective feeling like, I don't know, maybe they've only ever seen full-term stillborn infants and I don't want anybody to ever think anything bad about my baby. And so I canceled them, which looking back, like, oh, I wish I would have had professional pictures, but I'm so thankful for the pictures that we do have because we have so many pictures with him. Um, And um, And that's what I've heard with so many um, parents is what that is such so meaningful. It really, really is. Um, so I told the nurse, um, to come in at one point and we ended up keeping him for probably Mm -hmm. another hour. Um, but it was getting to the point where I was just exhausted. And so, right. I've got to do Mm -hmm. this. I have to do this. And so we called the nurse and she came in and I handed her my baby and she walked up and Mm. That is the hardest thing I believe I've ever done in my life because everything in your body screams, protect your baby. Do not let somebody take your baby. Um, Mm. So anyways, we did that. And, but right before we did, um, I sang to him the song that I'd sang to him all of Aww. all of his pregnancy before the throne of God above. And I never would have imagined what an appropriate song it would have been. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So anyways, um, yeah. So did you end up doing, you did a funeral yes. and, and all of that, or was it very, yeah. So or? I think that I was somewhat apprehensive because you just don't know how people are going to react to things. Um, but I did know that like there, sure. there is going to be a funeral. Like I'm going to celebrate and mourn my baby. Um, so we decided to do a graveside mm-hmm. service. Um, and we decided to um, bury him in an area called baby land um, of a cemetery that was close mm-hmm. to us. And, um, yeah, we, it was really, really beautiful. Our pastor officiated it and I did have a professional photographer come and do pictures of that day, um, of the funeral and some of my dearest friends that are musically gifted came and they sang that song before the throne of God above for the funeral. And my mom was still there at that point. And some of my husband's family, um, some coworkers and friends from church and just friends from other parts of life came. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was really beautiful. And my husband, he um, wrote this um, really beautiful piece about what his Kuiper's name meant to us. And about how we still had hope um, 
even during something like this, even during losing our son. Um, and so he read that as well. So it was really so hard. hard, but so, yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. So then how was life mm. after that? I agree. Yeah. The, the support, where did you find support? So, um, at well, first, I would say I found support through family and friends and coworkers. Um, I had mm -hmm. a friend who sent mm -hmm. me a bonsai, a bonsai tree and uh, as a way mm -hmm. to remember him. And it died eventually. But to this day, I always keep a bonsai tree in one of my windowsills. Mm -hmm. And mm. my coworkers, they all pitched in and they bought me this beautiful cherry tree. And they had oh. um, one of the husbands of um, one of my coworkers brought it to me while they were all at work. Um, he was retired at this point and he actually is a Santa. Um, so Santa brought me a cherry tree. Um, <laughs> yeah gave me a big old hug um, and planted that, <laughs> that planted. in our backyard mm -hmm. um, and even though we do not live mm -hmm. there anymore that tree still is still there um, so I had that support for my coworkers and my friends and um, I had a few people reach out to me on Facebook who heard of our loss through the newspaper and um, kind of knew of my husband. Um, we were in a, um, an area of the suburbs there that's, it's, it's kind of like a small town feel. So anyways, we had a few people reach out to us and say like, Hey, mm -hmm. there's a share group. Do you want to come and see if you want to be a part of it? And so, um, a few months in, we started doing that, and that was just a wonderful way to get support, because um, after that, you just feel absolutely crazy. You feel completely alone. I can just mm -hmm. remember feeling, I mean, I am 26 years old at this point, and I felt like I was 60, and I felt like I could not relate anymore to people my own age and I just I felt nuts and then I go to this support group and everybody's saying the exact same things that I'm feeling and thinking um, and there's people there who go just to give back who have had losses that were you know seven eight years prior they're just sitting there, you know, telling us about the process of their own grief, um, which was just such a comfort. Um, yeah. And yes. so those first six months or so I did, my grief was, I felt like it was very healthy. I was doing everything I could to grieve in a way. I... I knew that I'd get crazy if I stayed up late, so I'd make myself go to bed early. I didn't want to eat, but I made myself okay. eat. 
I didn't want to walk, but I made myself walk two miles every day just to get out in the sunshine and to just keep my body moving because I knew that it would be good for my brain chemistry. So I'm just doing those things that I knew would be good for my body. Um, And then I was also just eating up books. I was reading as many books about bereavement that I could read. Um, Yeah. So those first six months were, were pretty, were pretty good. Um, I would not say that it always went that way though. Would you like me to talk some more? Yeah. So when you say it would, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. if you want to go into to some of that, yeah. I think that would be helpful. Yeah, for so, um, you know, one thing that I, I think a lot of people realize this as soon as they become a bereaved parent is that you'll get these comparisons from people where they'll say, you know, so-and-so, they seem to grieve really well. And then so-and-so, they didn't grieve really well. Um And Mm -hmm. the interesting thing is I'm sure that people put me in that grieved really well category, at least in that first six months. Um, Or maybe they don't, Mm -hmm. didn't, who knows. Um, (laughs) But um, (laughs) it doesn't Doesn't matter. matter But the interesting (laughs) thing is if you look at research, there is a lot of times the people who are actually being described as grieving well are the people who haven't even started grieving really. Um, um, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's where you just haven't quite started to process yet. Um, and so maybe you're not seeing some of those more emotional aspects. Um, so anyways, I just say that because I feel like people need to hear that like, there is such a wide variety of what is quote unquote normal grief Mm. and society has a very narrow definition of what normal grief is. And it's not normal grief at all. They just want you to be over it a lot of times because it makes them uncomfortable. And so that really stinks. Um, We're grieving because they're like, well, maybe Mm. I need to be more like so-and-so, but they're on their own process and own journey and maybe they're grieving well, but maybe they're not either. Like maybe they feel like they have to pretend and hide their grief from people. Um, so anyways, I just say that because I just remember that feeling that so distinctly, like feeling like if I stepped out of bounds, mm-hmm. that I was going to get a label put on me. Um, But anyways, as time went on, there were a lot of things that did start to hit, no matter what I was doing um, to try to combat them. Um, And one thing was that I was just angry. I was so angry. Mm. Um, And it would come out at the strangest times. Um, Like Mm. the strangest times. It was usually somebody that I didn't know being slightly rude to me, like a cashier or, you know, driving down the road, somebody cuts you off. Uh And it would just be like one of those moments where it's like, my son has died. And now I have to deal with you, which 
sounds horrible. Mm. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it was one of those things that was an indicator that I needed some extra help, but it was a long time before I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. so anyways, um, I delivered Kuiper in May of that year. And then by November, no, yes, November, right the week before Thanksgiving, I found out I was pregnant again. My doctor had said, you know what? It's been long enough. You probably should try for another. And without really thinking much, we did try for another. <laughs> um, so, anyways, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, no. Oh, and I've had whatsoever. some with infertility struggles and <laughs> I tell them, I'm like, you know what, that is one thing I can do. It's just the pregnancies that I can't do. Um, and yeah. my, that pregnancy ended up being my worst pregnancy. It was, it was the hardest pregnancy. Really? My, my hyperemesis was not as bad as the first one, but I did have bad at hyperemesis. I spent five weeks hospitalized. The baby was born premature. Um, it was just horrendous um, in every wow. sense of the word. Um, yeah. And through that time, I, I go on into the pregnancy thinking, you know what? Like I have been through everything in these first two pregnancies. I have been through a horrible pregnancy with my parents. And yeah, like my baby hell. died in my second pregnancy. Like God is going to allow me to have a good pregnancy this time. I don't know that like I consciously thought those things, mm. but it was somewhere buried back in there. Like this is going to be a good one. Like there's no way this could be a bad pregnancy. Um, yeah. And it was, it was, it was so hard. It was but so it was hard. Um, worst, huh? It was to the point that my daughter um, would come with my husband to the hospital and she would see the hospital on the highway and go, look, it's mommy's house. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. So Aww. by this point, I am struggling oh, wow. so much with my mental health. And not knowing what to do, or even if it really is mental health struggles, um, that I'm uh -huh. angry a lot and I'm irritable all the time. And, you know, I'm not, you know, like kicking down doors or anything crazy that's going to make somebody say like, you need to go see somebody, but it's just rough. Um, and mm -hmm. after the pregnancy, it's better for a little bit. Um, but then it starts, it starts to get bad again. Um, and it just seems to be getting worse as time goes on. Um, and then after a series of events, I finally end up going to a counselor. 
by this point, is this postpartum depression? Do I have something else going on? Um, so anyways, there's all of that. And yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I, well, and I'm thinking that you, this is just what's popped into my head is, did you fully Yeah, and that's a good question. Completely Mm -hmm. before you now you're you're going into a difficult pregnancy on top of all of that. It's like is it all like snowballing combined? That is exactly exactly. Yeah. You're just adding yeah, yeah, you're adding trauma from the first pregnancy. Yeah. Very traumatic pregnancy then yeah the trauma of losing my son and then the trauma of a rainbow pregnancy which is rainbow pregnancies really are very traumatic anyways with the friends that I've talked to who have regular pregnancies who Mm -hmm. you know have very healthy pregnancies because you're always sitting there thinking even if you don't have a thing wrong you're thinking this baby could die am I going to bury this baby next to their brother or sister yeah um and so then to have that be a very real possibility, sure. I mean, was just horrendous. Um, so anyways, we, we go, yeah, I start going to counseling in, I guess it was January. And this has been a few years at this point since that third pregnancy where the baby was born premature. And by that mm-hmm. point I have had some time to process, but the truth be told, my pregnancies were so different than a lot of people I knew that even though I'd had time to process the death of my son through share, I never really got the chance to process the pregnancies themselves because there just was not a lot of people that Mm. I had to talk with who really understood my, you know, your friends do the best that they can, but sometimes there's just deep things that you need to, you need to talk through. Um, So anyways, Mm -hmm. started counseling and then like the next month, my grandfather dies and in between mm. visits to Detroit. So I go out there right before he passes. And then the next week I go out again. I conceived our fourth child. And mm. so, you know, that month mm. goes by. No idea that I'm pregnant. I'm in our minivan about to get my older two kids out of the vehicle and I get this pain all of a sudden and then start bleeding. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I've just had implantation. I, I, I put the kids back in the car. I'm going, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. I'm not pregnant. There's no way I'm pregnant. We go to target. I get a pregnancy test. I come back. And it's positive. And I am laughing and crying at the same time. Mm. 
Yeah. And oh my goodness. It was God's mercy that I had a counselor at this point. And we had just the year before joined a church that one of their doctrines is a doctrine of suffering. One of their like core beliefs that they put Mm. on their websites that, you know, all churches have their like core theologies is a doctrine of suffering. We go to a church that has refugees Mm -hmm. and people, I mean, I sit behind a man who has been tortured. And oh my goodness, to be in a church where people really understood suffering really deeply, and to have a counselor, and then the additional support of family coming alongside of us. Um, and then to once again walk through a lot of those same things that happened before. I was walking through hyperemesis with a counselor while I'm having it and then talking through all of the struggles that I had with hyperemesis before. And then I'm having preterm labor and I'm mm-hmm. talking through all of mm. that with the counselor while it's happening. And then, you know, we come to 23 weeks and we're talking through my son's passing. And then I am hospitalized mm. for preterm labor and my counselor comes to the hospital oh my goodness! and we're talking through my fear of being hospitalized and we're talking through all of the things. And it was a very redemptive experience for me to be able to talk through all of those things while they were happening again. Um, And it brought a lot of healing. Mm. Yeah. From all of those previous things. Yeah. And yeah. And it was one of those situations where once again, my doctor said, you know, most doctors look at your, your list and they say, uh, we've got a five point problem pregnancy. And he said, you've got a 10 point problem pregnancy. (laughs) And, um, Mm. we made it to full term and my dream with my first pregnancy to been had to been to have that all natural labor. And I had that all natural labor and My dream had been all along to breastfeed my first one, I think because of postpartum depression and also Mm -hmm. because I ended up getting pneumonia postpartum as well. Um, My body just couldn't handle (laughs) breastfeeding my first and then my second was premature. (gasps) So I ended up pumping, which was very wonderful, but is not the same thing as far as like the like you you hate the pump by the time you're done with it no. uh, <laughs> and I got to breastfeed her for a year yeah um so all these things that like I couldn't have imagined in my wildest dreams we got to have happen with this kid we didn't even plan to ever have um yeah 
And oh my goodness, wow. is she just, she's just the cutest little pill you'll ever see. And it sounds as if you're very blessed and fortunate to be able to have found a really yes. good counselor to walk you through yes. that whole pregnancy to help you yes. heal from all of those traumas Yeah, as you're yeah. going through. I can pregnancy. remember at points being like, I feel like all I can even hope for right now is just surviving mentally. And then after, after, after mm-hmm. my youngest was born, um, his uh, maybe six months to a year later, I can remember praying and being like, I don't want to just survive. I want to flourish. And that just became a word that I held on to. And I really mm-hmm. got to get to a point where I could say, like, I feel like I'm flourishing. <laughs> and that was super, super cool. And uh, so is I, that it? Yes, yes. <laughs> more pregnancy. As far as I know, as far as I know, there's there's no okay. more on the way. Oh my God. <laughs> we have no plans anymore. Okay. We've kind of made that impossible, <laughs> short of a miracle. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So you have been through so, so much. Wow. And, and so now you do, let's briefly talk about, so what do you do? Yes. You were a nurse. Are you still a nurse? Yeah. But you do. Yeah. So I was a same day surgery nurse for eight years. And so I do have an article out um, that kind of describes some of my time as a same day surgery nurse working with um, miscarriage patients. Um, Cause that was some of the patients that we saw. Um, a lot of them were things okay. like ACL repairs and other things. Um, and now I work um, in a cardiac unit. So <laughs> very much a different type of nurse these days. Um, but okay. yeah. So when COVID yeah. hits, um, you know, like everybody else, I wasn't expecting it. And uh, my life really got turned upside down. <laughs> um, we have one of our kids, um, we were looking into getting an IEP and our child was really struggling in school. And so because of that and some other reasons, uh, my husband said, I think you really need to quit work for a few months until things stabilize. And so in March, I couldn't even believe it. The kids went Mm -hmm. on spring break and I quit my job and nobody went back to school. Uh, (laughs) 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 And so um, I'm home with three kids wrangling a toddler and trying to homeschool with the assistance of our teachers online. And I found that I did have a lot more time because I wasn't working. Um, And I just kept thinking about moms that were losing babies during this time. 
because I just kept thinking back to all the support Mm -hmm. I had, all the support I had during the hospital stay, all of the support that I had from Cher, our funeral for our baby. I mean, the conversations that I had with people who I hardly knew, but would have coffee with me and said, I lost, you know, I lost twins at 19 weeks. Do you want to meet, you know, things like that, that they weren't going to get to do Mm -hmm. during this time. Um, And so I ended up contacting Cher, which is who I'd done that support group through. And it's like, what do you guys need help with? Like, is there ways that I can come alongside moms right now? Do you need, you know, moms who are farther along in the bereavement process to mm-hmm. be in on some of these share meetings that are, you know, on zoom or like, what can I do to help? Um, and so they kind of sent me like this whole list. It seemed like a pre typed up list. And then at the very bottom, it was almost like a side note. They said, Oh, and by the way, if you write, go ahead and send something in. And I'm like, well, I do write. I like to write, but I never, I knew that they did accept um, submissions, but it never occurred to me to send any in for some reason. Um, So anyways, there was one that I had wrote um, during, it was right after my hospital stay with my last, um, my last pregnancy. So I had a one week hospital stay for preterm labor and after that, I had wrote about this, um, that time, um, well, it was actually like a few days before then, cause I had gone in for preterm labor and then they had sent me home and then they kept me for a week. But anyways, um, during that time I had wrote basically an article, um, but <laughs> I never showed it to anybody. It was just in my journal and it was in red letters. Okay. So it was really easy to find. And so I was like, I could just type that up and send that in, um, so I typed it up and I kind of like put yeah. like a little like afterthought notes and then like kind of saying like, this is where I am now. I had now have three babies. Like she did well, she didn't end up being born, being born preterm. And, um, you know, just a note to moms in that same situation. And they accepted it. They're like, we love this. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And so I ended up sending in some other things that I had written. And so then um, I started regularly contributing for them. Um, And it's just kind of gone from there. I've also uh, wrote for Herbie from home and his group from home as well. Well, you have so much experience. Yeah. You know, so much unusual things that have happened to you and like I said I think at the beginning you know women want to support other women and really help them they've been supported you know yes and they want to give back and support other women and so I think it's very cool that at this point you have found that a huge way to be able to do that it really is, really is. Which is awesome. So I want to kind of conclude, I think, um, if there's mm-hmm. anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to share um, with the listeners, or if 
we've covered pretty much everything. Yeah. If there's any words of encouragement or advice to the yeah. listeners that um, you want to share. I think my biggest awesome. thing would be to say, don't do this alone. Um, like you need mm. support so much during a time like that. And it's normal to need support. Um, I think that we, we want to be strong and a lot of times people expect us to be strong, but it's one of those things that you, you've lost a precious and beloved child that you cared so much about and that you carried in your body. And like, it is right to seek out support during this time. Um, whether that be from friends and family or a support group or a counselor. Um, there are so many ways. Um, but I just hate to think of people going through this alone. And then yeah. um, also, I think that they talk a lot about like the first year of grief, um, kind of like uh, almost like a graduation point once you get past the first year. Um but the more and more I've talked to people, it can be quite a long time before you feel normal again. And so just to be patient with yourself um, as you wait for that to slowly happen and as you get through different points in your life where maybe you've had another pregnancy and you feel like you need extra support all of a sudden, um, don't think that means that you've gone back to square one um, it just may mean that you need some extra support for this season. Um, so yeah, those, I think that's my biggest piece of advice is just to, to be, to be patient with yourself as you grieve. Well, and if there has been a loss, there's just so many things like you kind of said there that will trigger that you will need support, you know, that, that trigger, yeah. something triggers um, yeah. the grief to yeah. just come back full force again and you yeah. do need to find that support yeah. especially during yeah. that and time. it doesn't mean that something's um, wrong with you it just means that everyone's grief is just means that you love that baby very much <laughs> right no yeah you're very normal I think to experience stuff like that um, it is because everybody's grief is totally totally different I like that you said do you know yeah whatever time frame is is your time frame you know so well I so very much appreciate you sharing so much with the listeners and I just want to say thanks I mean I am just in awe that everything that you went through um you're one strong yeah. woman I know you had a lot of support um, and through that, but yeah, I appreciate absolutely. so much you sharing yeah. all of that with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. All right. Well, if there's, oh, you are so, Bye. so welcome. Thank you again. Thank you again, Anne-Marie, for sharing your story such a difficult journey you went through so much to have a beautiful family it was a difficult story I'm sure to tell 
to go through and then what's difficult for me to feel your pain of everything that you went through thank you so much again for sharing that taking the time to share that with the listeners to inspire and help them and thank you listeners for taking time to listen to Anne Marie's story it was a difficult one but I appreciate you sticking with it and listening to her story I'm sure she has inspired you I'm sure you have learned something from her story so I ask that if you can uh, please share on social media a link to the podcast because I'm sure there's someone that you thought of as you were listening share it with them and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any episodes and give us a review we would very much I would very very much appreciate that and if you need to connect with me to find support or if you would like to share your story if you have had a struggle with infertility or loss of a child reach out to me on women connect and support on Facebook would love to hear from you And I want all of you to know, to always share your story. It is so powerful to share with others. And we know that it will always inspire others and give them hope on their journey.